Welcome to Manifit Podcast, where we explore life-sustaining and changing strategies in everything fitness, food, and faith. So pull up a chair and sit at the table with your hosts, Jay Hiller and Jesse Rowley. Good morning, Jesse. What's up, Jay? How are you, sir? I am doing fantastic. It's Memorial Day weekend. Yes. So three days, <laughs> no work. It's going to be fantastic. And I'm very appreciative for those who have laid down their lives and gave us this freedom and the ability to remember them. So thank you to all the families out there that have lost one, uh, loved ones to have the freedom that we're able to sit here and have this conversation but it's going to be a great weekend. You got plans? I do not know. Um, I should have plans. I should do stuff, but uh, I just want to be lazy if I'm going to be honest. You want to travel quite a distance uh, and cover a lot of miles to learn how to pressure wash a driveway? Uh, if you're going to pay for my gas? She goodness, no. <laughs> I don't <laughs> want to give away my nowadays. Yeah, I don't want to give away my paycheck. <laughs> hey you know one thing's for sure is a lot of the gas stations really have kind of changed their ways into doing those like little point systems like kroger's and then you've got like sam's club and then you've got costco and um just to get people to come and feel like they're getting discounted gas um but well they are getting discounted gas over time that that is that is true. That is true, um, but they also get the business of the individual as well. So it's a good model. It's a good business model. Yeah, but, no, I mean um, it is very true. It, it keeps them in business, keeps people loyal to them, which is nice. Um, I wish mo- some creates. more mom, mom and pop places have that ability. But would you say it creates a habit of purchasing <laughs> gas at their uh-huh. establishments? I think I think <laughs> I think it would create a habit in where you shop, where you get gas, where you just feel like you need to go to uh, get your needs met. That sounded weird. No, yeah, but it it is also pretty intriguing when you stop to think about it. I mean, grocery stores are massive students of habit. I mean, oh, if you for sure. if you. If you stop and think about it, they sit here and focus on how much a person spends in the store. What is the typical route that a person goes? How many steps do they generally have? What shelves do they generally reach for? And then what items are most commonly uh, purchased? And this, this isn't just for like volumetrics of like they have to have 50 bottles of Gatorade or else they're going to be seen with an empty shelf. Right. Although they might have to double check themselves on toilet paper every once in a while. <laughs> but it, it's, it's such an industry that's focused on habituation of an individual and then breaking that habituation of an individual. It's truly intriguing because if you think about it, What's the most frustrating thing about a grocery store is when they change when you're, where your items are at. Have you ever experienced that? Were you walking down aisle 14 to get your Oreos and then you're like, my Oreos are not on aisle 14. Oh, that's because we put them on the end aisle of aisle 26. Yeah, no, I can't say I experienced that only because, uh, yeah, my wife doesn't let me shop. 
Um, I come back. Wait a minute. I come why, back why? with way too many things. I am a product of uh, impulse buying. Yeah. <laughs> which so which you're the, you're the perfect your person point, study. Yeah, which to your point, I mean, is a habituation in and of itself because I go in and I buy one thing, but then I look over and it's like, oh, yeah, that would be great with this. So they pair items up together, you know, that complement each other. And then they put this little, you can have a discount on it. Oh, H-E-B. <laughs> H-E-B. Especially what a like glorious Memorial Day weekend, July mm-hmm. 4th. Like mm-hmm. hot dogs, hamburgers, all that mm-hmm. stuff is going on sale. So you can buy in bulk. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, well, you're right. They really are a... Uh, industry built on habituation and taking advantage of those habituation. Yeah. And, and so if we're, we're to dissect the, the act of having a habit at the grocery store, we, from a scientific standpoint, we have the cue, right? Right. Then we have the action. Then we have the response. And then we have, the reward, right? Right. Or did I miss one? Did I miss uh, one? The, well, it's from um, from James Clear perspective. It's um, you have the cue, uh, you have the attraction, um, then yeah, you have like the uh, response, the response, then you have the reward. Have the reward. So there's kind of got to be that that two initial meetings um, are, are criteria that you're cued to do something, but then you have this desire to actually follow through in yeah. which case that produces the response. Ah, so with the grocery store, where would you find the cue? Do you think your stomach? Well, when I go, yes. <laughs> I, think, I mean, yes, obviously. That's the only time I enter the, the store. Or, I, I, I or do. you know, it's someone's birthday or something, and I have I need to get them something. So the, the cue is a desire to, um, to get them something. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's to fill... <laughs> Uh, some kind of need. Um, I will sit here and pause and say that I do know that it is wise to not go to the grocery store hungry. <laughs> I know that they have sat here and proven that, and I have helped them prove that. If you go to the grocery store hungry, you're going to buy more stuff. Um, hey, but it is a good test on self-control. No, oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so for all those intermittent fasting folks you really want to challenge that uh, uh, inner self uh, control go to go fasting and then go to the bakery as they're cooking. Yes. So, yeah. Like that's also a great point, man. You, you bring up bakery. Can the senses be oh. cues or does it have to be a tactile object? Cause when you look at a grocery store, they, they have that little wiry basket that you walk through the front door or they send you an email of what's on sale. It's Memorial day. You have hot dogs, you have uh, brisket, you probably have uh, Cokes, chips, salsa, 
uh, rolls, all those things are on sale. And you get that little piece of paper and you can thumb through it. And they have all these pretty pictures of like what it looks like. And they're trying to make it appetizing and cue you to go get it. But you bring up the bakery. Can Do you believe that the senses are capable of being cues? Well, I think, I mean, inevitably, yes. Like everything can... Um, begin a habit or begin a motion of events um, mm. to occur. And really you could probably attest to this a little bit better than I could um, because my, my daughter is still just five months old and you have a three-year-old. Is that right? Yep. Four? Yep. Three-year-old. So I'm sure you've done this before, you know, you're trying to tell um, your son something and he's just staring off in space and, um, you know, he hears you. So what do you do? You get his attention and make him stare at you. So we're engaging multiple senses in order for him to understand what you're trying to get him to do, like clean his Mm -hmm. room or something like that. Um, Or, you know, something, you know, you, you have his dinner. Yeah. You know, just (laughs) (laughs) something that, you know, he struggles with that you're trying to, uh, to instill better routines, better habits, better understanding. Um, you really have to get his full engagement. Yeah. I, I, I often find that the more senses that I can sit here and get him to participate in, then, the more likely that he's going to be more active because he can be watching a show and I could sit here and say his name and he will not respond. I can put food in front of him and say his name and he will not respond. But if I sit here and I place my hand on his back, I have food in front of him and then I say his name, he'll actually probably respond. Now, it's probably more of the touch that drives anything because that's the interruption of what he's focused on. Sure. But it's more likely to be engaging into any form of habit or any activity or event when you have more senses, more um, touch, hearing, sight, smell, any of those combined with each other. And then you're going to get a stronger response. And I think that's also why you have uh, people that get uh, subliminal messaging in grocery stores and department stores online and Amazon. I mean, you have these ideas of like suggested purchases whenever you're going. Mm -hmm. They're sitting here and they're utilizing um, the pictures as a form to engage your eyes with, because you're already Mm -hmm. shopping. So you're already Mm -hmm. participating in it and then you use your eyes and they're trying to draw you in and think about, Oh, maybe I could possibly use that. And Mm -hmm. so when we think of those, our senses, our senses really are probably one of the first things that cause a cue to engage. And from what we talked about in our first episode, um, habits are not conscious. So if we believe that we're participating in a habit and we are thinking about the next step of the activity and for simplicity purposes, I crack an egg, I open the egg. And if I have to think I need a fork or a whisk to scramble my egg, that's not habituation. That's not a habit. That's an active participation of the sequence of events. 
But if you think of other activities, like if you're over the age of 16 and you're going to drive a car mm-hmm. and you sit here and you get into the car, you open the door and you sit down in the seat and then you go and you turn the key on. Everybody has a different routine. I sit here and for myself, I sit in the car, insert key. Yeah, I'm old. I have an <laughs> older car. I don't have one of those fancy fobs. You, I turn the key with my foot on the brake, and then I put my seatbelt on. Then I put the car into reverse, and then I sit here and I look to sit here and see if everybody in the car or around me is safe. But that's not the case for everybody. You could get in. You could put your seatbelt on. You could turn the key. You could put your foot on the brake, then turn the key, or you could look around you, put the seatbelt on, and then turn the key or push the button for those who have uh, a more modern car. But that sequence of events, you don't think about. It's something that's rhythmic. Some people would call it a rhythm or a dance, and but you're not actively thinking about that. So a cue is something that initiates that. And so... Um, Jesse, what experiences do you have in uh, getting like focused for golf or focused for like sports that seem to really cue you in to the activity? Is it lacing up your shoes? Do you, is it like, what experiences did you have whenever you were participating in tennis in college and those, uh, those, uh, yeah. matches that really engaged your mind. And it was like, it is time for the match. Oh, oh man. Um, yeah, I don't, that's a great question. Um, I think a lot of it started the night before, um, Ooh. you know, okay. preparing like getting the bag ready, um, you know, re gripping my tennis racket um, cleaning the irons, stuff like that, you know, making sure you just have everything ready to go, um, is really probably what started it. Um, and then, you know, really, and I know we'll talk about this in future episodes, but really just the desire to, to be out there. And so, um, wanted to make sure that you have, um, everything you're going to need to be able to go play, um, to your most effectiveness, um, so I, I, I can't like recall like one specific thing. That's um, fair. That's I, I know, fair. I know whenever I'm like, um, so like yesterday at work, Friday, Friday, right. Um, I, we were sitting there watching the Charles Schwab, um, on TV, um, with, which is a golf tournament. And, and okay. Thank you. I was a little lost <laughs> in Fort Worth, um, Texas. So that's not where, you know, I'm from, but, but we were watching it on the golf channel and, you know, and, uh, one of the PT technicians is a golfer too. And so we just started talking and, and then that talking, um, about the game of golf, about, you know, what you like to do, what courses you like to play, how you, you know, do X, Y, or Z made me really want to play golf. Um, <laughs> so there was kind of that, that desire through just discussing and talking and seeing it. Um, so like you were mentioning earlier, like all these senses are being geared towards one thing that then that desire um, 
to respond started to come. Man, you are on point today because you are like just driving the conversation in a beautiful direction. So I got to I got to give you a hand, man, because <laughs> when you sit here and you say you have conversation and it causes an internal desire, that is like a beautifully in packaged cue. And this was actually studied and I'm sorry, but I'm bringing back Wendy Wood because she's <laughs> a genius when it comes to this stuff. There there was a study of people. They put them in a room. Everybody sat here and said that they were runners. Uh-huh. And so, and what the idea was is if they could cue the desire to run by flashing words faster than the conscious mind could interpret them. Now, I don't know ex- exactly how that uh, neurologically works, considering the fact that you flash it faster than you've functionally can read it and so therefore like how do you know what word is what but that's not for me i'm not smart enough to figure that part out um (laughs) they would flash words like shoes route yeah pace and then they sat here and they would flash um other words but they started separating the groups and you would have uh avid Runners, runners that ran every day. They uh, sat here and ran more than 20 miles a week, and they did it all the time. And then you had um, not uh, avid runners, but consist or like more more than not, they're going to have a run. And then you had beginning runners, mm-hmm. and so they they also put them through the whole situation and then they they um talked to him afterwards and they were like hey what do you how do you feel and the avid runners were like i've got to go run i want to go run i need to go run Mm -hmm. and even though their conscious mind could not sit here and actively read the word shoe because it was flashed on a screen so fast they were developing this internal urge to go perform the activity, but that wasn't the case with the others. And so they, they, they asked the other two groups, they're like, Hey, um, so what do you, how do you get yourself kind of motivated to go and participate? And they say, well, I generally set goals for myself. Mm -hmm. And this is where they kind of, they start discussing how, if you're truly trying to change yourself, and you're trying to make a change, whether you're trying to eat less fast food, whether you're trying to get into the gym more, mm-hmm. or you're trying to sit here and become a reader, or you're trying to become a more studious individual of the Bible, setting goals are, is a very bad idea. And the reason why setting goals is a very bad idea is because goals are very term limited. And so once you achieve that goal, your consciousness is saying completed but remember we're driven by habit and habit is not conscious so if you're setting a goal and for you to sit here and 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 be golfing and you're like i'm gonna i'm gonna hit an an 86 Mm -hmm. on this extremely hard course and that's your goal Mm -hmm. that's not the best mindset to create a habit 
of performing your absolute best. Mm-hmm. You're, the best thing to do is to get into, and you would probably, and most professionals talk about this, get into a rhythm. And that rhythm will drive you into your thoughts and how you're, you're focusing on playing. And one thing that I often uh, find interesting is when you talk to professional athletes, or the, we, we've had interviewers talk about professional athletes, and when they're approaching milestones, like back when Mark McGuire in the late 90s, uh, early 2000s, was chasing the home run goal in uh, the MLB, they were like, hey, you, you, you just broke the home, uh, you're about to break the home run record. And he's like, I wasn't really thinking about that. Or you have, um, uh, what was another one? Um, there's a couple of basketball records that you can look at. Like, uh, well, I think, uh, sorry to cut you off. No, go for it. A more, um, a more recent one was, uh, oh, the Cardinals catcher. Um, y'all did Lair Molina. Oh yeah. Yeah. Javier Molina. Yeah. Didn't he just hit like his 3000th hit or whatever? Yes. Um, And his whole speech was when he was a few games away from that was like, you know, individual accolades will, will come, but he was focused on the team on on like, I just want to do what I can for the team. And so like his focus wasn't like you said on that, that, goal of hitting 3000 hits or whatever, which, you know, he's wanted, but, Oh, absolutely. um, But that was going to come by product of him just being the player that he is and the byproduct of doing everything he's been doing to get to that point. Yes. He needed to stay within himself. He didn't have to sit here and act out of that. And so that that's, I appreciate that. That that's very much the the point on uh, being cued and becoming a habit is better than creating goals. And if you're a competitor, like we're speaking about baseball, um, if you have a goal, both sides of the field are trying to achieve the same goal. Mm-hmm. So, but only one person can obtain Mm -hmm. the goal. That's good. So it's so much better to sit here and be, hey, you know what? I'm going to participate in this game and I'm going to create a habit of loving the game, loving the activity of doing, hitting a baseball, hitting a tennis ball, Mm -hmm. or even preparing. I can tell you back when I was playing baseball, one of my favorite things to do was not the activity of participating in the game. My favorite thing was walking out to the foul line and playing catch. Really? That was one of my favorite. That was one of my favorite things to do. It, it, it wasn't trying to hit the ball over the fence in batting practice. It wasn't trying to sit here and figure out where I should throw the ball if the ball was hit to me in the seventh inning with two outs and a runner on second and third. It was lacing up my shoes walking to the foul line and playing catch with whoever it was and then just talking with them. And I think that because it, it it really cued me for the game because it was a mindless habit that put me in the mindset of appreciating the game Mm -hmm. rather than 
sitting here and going, oh, my God, I got to warm up. I got to stretch my lats. Okay, I got to stretch my pec. Uh, okay, engage the rotator cuff. Okay, I did all my exercises. All right, man, this is – it's hot out here. It, it was just a routine or a habit that sat here and prepared me for the game, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, I think <laughs> – that sounds very uh, goat-like of you. Um, because, you know, Michael, <laughs> very far from it. Because, <laughs> you know, like Michael Jordan has a famous uh, quote or, or really like interview or whatever where he talks about um, that practice. Like if you're on his team, he's going to make you practice way harder than a game. Like he's going to go out to you way harder than he would like if you were in an actual game. Uh, because his whole premise is was that that he wanted to be there, he wanted to already have these things, these mindsets, these subconscious uh, actions ingrained in him, so that when the game came, he could just enjoy the game and play it as it came. Mm. And so, and of course, you know, depending mm. on who you you root for, he is the greatest you know basketball player of all time. And he had that mindset that you know I don't want to stress over the actual game; I'll stress over the preparation and make yeah. sure that I'm there. But I'm not going to stress over um, the actual game. I'm going to enjoy it. Yeah, that 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 makes me think of one other example that I can. Uh, that the that comes to mind, and it was a Dallas Stars goalie, hockey goalie. Um, I think they call them goalies. They call them goalies, right? Yeah. Sorry, I'm not a hockey player. Okay, goalie. Um, <laughs> they guard a goal. They guard. They guard a goal. A goal. <laughs> <laughs> Same so, in soccer, Jay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, his name was Eddie Belfour, and he was with all the big names of. The late, again, late 90s, early 2000s uh, uh, Dallas Stars. And he would sit here and he would take thousands of shots at him in the goal. And we're talking like he was, they, he would have people and they were probably tired shooting pucks at him mm-hmm. before he was ready to call it a day. And his premise was the more that I sit here and see and practice, and experience and practice, the the less I have to think about in game and the more it becomes a routine. And mm-hmm. so it's setting up these cues to sit here and create a better habit in the future. Mm-hmm. And while when you look at scientific evidence of like uh, how does practice translate into an actual game per numerical value, of what is a habit it's not that high it is creating the mindset of being a part of that game is what's cueing you and that's the benefit of having habits and having practice and having um a rhythm to go into the game but so let's let's uh i would like to sit here and go through like a couple ideas of how we could assess our habits and kind of give ideas for like daily stuff. Like, um, do you do you have any knowledge? Like, I know uh, James Clear does uh, the Habit Scorecard, which for uh, for those that are recalling, that's the book Atomic Habits and by James Clear, and he does the scorecard. And mm-hmm. uh, what take us through that? 
Yeah, so um, basically the scorecard um, is looking at everything you do in a daily life um, and jotting it down. So your alarm goes off, um, you shut off your alarm or you snooze your alarm 50 times like I do, Um, you get out of the bed, you go take a shower, you start a pot of coffee, uh, you drink your coffee, you go get in the car, grab your keys, get in the car, go to work. So it, it's literally laying out all these things that you know you do on a daily aspect um, that without without fault, this is kind of what you're going to go through or, or in other right. terms, like writing down your daily routine. Oh, okay. And yeah. Then, um, and then out beside each one of those, you you give it a P, a plus for positive, a, a minus for negative, or uh, just an equal sign for neutral. And so the idea is that you want to kind of see what habits are playing a positive role in whatever you're trying to achieve, what mm-hmm. habits are playing a negative role, and then what are your neutral habits. So, I mean, we all have to get out of bed. Um, so whether you wake up naturally, whether you need an alarm, you, you can say this or that, like the initial alarm is a positive habit because it cues you to wake up. You yeah, know, and you can make it a positive alarm. alarm. For the 10th time is a negative habit because you're ignoring your body's um, intention and the desire that, hey, I need to get up to get my day started. Right. Um, so you're looking at all these different, all these different roles um, or, or um, routines that you go through, and just trying to, whatever it is, write down whatever you're trying to achieve and see if that's pointing you towards or pointing you away from achieving that. Yeah. So it's kind of like a map. Yeah. Is your is your map directing you to who you want to be, or is your map? causing you to be inefficient and distracted and uh, discombobulated towards whatever you want. Like if you're trying to get out of the door at six o'clock while having 17 things to do between getting out of bed and getting out the door might not be the most efficient way of doing things. So um, finding that scorecard and correct me if I'm wrong, Jesse, but that scorecard is like, okay, these are positive things that get me out of the door by six o'clock, or these are negative things that are going to hinder me. How can I make it either more difficult for myself to perform those negative things like hitting the snooze button Mm -hmm. or sitting here and taking a 15 minute shower or, um, those negative things, how can I make them more difficult so that I can get out the door at yeah. six o'clock? Yeah. Or, or, um, or how can you um, rearrange where you stack maybe a positive habit um, with that negative habit so you still have a at least neutral response, mm. um, if not mm. even a positive response, depending on which of those habits is, you know, stronger um, into achieving what you want to achieve. So like, say you're a really tired person, you've been stressed and you're, um, you're, you're just had a rough night, um, and you needed a pick me up to get you going. So you could be effective for your day. Right. So you need to make coffee. Um, but you are someone who likes to take a 15, 20 minute shower. Right. So you could set your coffee pot, 
um, so that it's going off while you're taking that shower. Well, if you don't get up to or get out to stop that coffee pot from making, it's going to over, overflow or uh, the coffee's going to get cold. So you're going to have to force yourself to get out of the shower a little bit sooner. Um, and so you're just stacking it that way. You went BJ Fogg on us. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, BJ Fogg, the the uh, uh, researcher of Stanford University with the tiny habits and the habit stacking, which is a fantastic way to sit here and uh, adjust your routine and taking small advantages or small adjustments, and you're not trying to sit here and just drastically overhaul the whole system Mm -hmm. because what we find is when we try to overhaul the whole system, it doesn't work. And like just to sit here and give some more evidence, there's a study by again, Wendy Wood uh, that uh, reported by Wendy Wood. um, It wasn't by her that they studied a group of obese individuals that sat here and participated in a weight loss study and they participated for it and they lost 15 to 20 pounds. And now this was 15 to 20 pounds in a safe amount of time. And then they sat here and felt successful. And the goal was to sit here and then revisit them in five years. They revisit them in five years and only 15% of those people were capable of retaining or improving where they had left off from the previous study. And so if only 15% are capable of attaining where they were originally, you would sit here and recognize that habits are what's stronger and you can sit here and maintain where you're at better with a habit. And so making these tiny adjustments and creating a more healthy habit instead of creating this overhaul and you're trying to utilize this whole brand new system to sit here and get what you want. You could still achieve, remember, your goal, but you won't create a habit by doing the overhaul. So you want to sit here and make the small changes in your cues to sit here and lead you towards creating the better habit for your long-term future, not your short-term gain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What would you say to someone, though, who um, doesn't want to wait? Like, we, we live in a society where it's go, 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 you know, where if you slow down for a minute, you miss out. Um, so how, what would you say to an individual that, that is more focused on the goal oriented versus like the behavioral um, changes that, you know, ultimately would, would have a better outcome in life? I, I would probably sit here and encourage the person to sit here and look at the the goal of whatever goal it may be and sit in and say, okay, what is the most attractive portion of that goal? Mm-hmm. And have them find that piece of that goal and then backtrack from that goal and sit here and find, do some introspective kind of like work and go, all right, how do I sit here and not only get to my goal, 
because everybody can make a map of from point A to point B, mm-hmm. but not how do I get to my goal? How do I get past my goal? Mm-hmm. So I don't want to be the average quarterback. I want to be the Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. And if I can be the Tom Brady, then pretty much you've already created some habits. Mm-hmm. So like if your goal is to sit here and to lose 10 pounds and that's that's your goal, back backtrack and sit here and say, you know what? I'm going to sit here and have one meal on one day that is a salad or a vegetarian mm-hmm. meal that is wholesome in nutrition but is within – this amount of calorie count that's in respective of uh, of a healthy calorie count. Um, personally, I'm not the biggest fan of the fasting, but um, you can sit here and take one meal out of the week and every time you sit here and you have that meal. So you're not focused on the goal. You're focused on that one meal mm-hmm. and then as that meal sits here and happens, what you do is you eat that meal, you smile, you congratulate yourself on making it one step closer to where you're headed. And then if you want to, you may add another meal and then you're still focused on that first meal, but that second meal that you think, yeah, I could do that second meal, that second meal, that's extra credit. That's, that's bonus. That's icing on the cake. That's the cherry on top, but it's that first, that first meal. And then what's going to happen that over the course of time, again, we don't know uh, for each person it's different. It's not one day. It's not one month. It's not one year. That first meal becomes so routine. You just don't focus on it. And next thing you know, you're focusing on the second meal. So if you're on Monday and you're like, you know what? I'm going to have yogurt with fruit and granola for breakfast. That's a, that's a solid breakfast. And you consider in every Monday for breakfast, you have that. No matter what, that's that's what you do. And then all of a sudden later in the week, you're like, you know, I could I could have yogurt, fruit and granola on Thursday for breakfast. And lo and behold, you start developing this culture or this habit and towards the direction of that goal. So that's what I would do. Yeah, no, I love that. And really, I think you're right. I think it is a a cultural thing. It's a cultural we want to change, um, not only ourselves, um, our families, our jobs, our communities, uh, but really something that maybe we can change the world with. Um, And, you know, to our listeners, if you like what you're hearing uh, from us, then I would really encourage you all to listen uh, to Admiral uh, William H. McRaven's commencement speech uh, at the 2014 University of Texas. Um, in the, his commencement speech, um, which he titled Make Your Bed, uh, Admiral McRaven challenges you know the graduates uh, to learn to do the little things um, in their own lives so that one day um, that habit they develop um, will create kind of an inner foundation that can start to change the world around them. Um, and really that's kind of what we want to promote is helping you kind of ch- 
change the inner foundations of your life so that you can affect uh, your world around you. Um, so watch, listen, read Admiral McRaven's book, Make Your Bed. Um, then come back next week and listen to our next episode. We record weekly uh, episodes that are set to air every Monday at 5. Uh, you can check out our socials at Manifit Podcast on Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter. Also check out our website at www.acast.com forward slash Manifit. Uh, you want to chat to us, you can email us at manifit22 at gmail.com. Uh, and really, we just wish y'all many blessings uh, this weekend and on Memorial Day. Thank you to all who have served and those who have lost uh, their lives and loved ones um, fighting for our freedom. Um, and then, you know, as always, may God bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Manafit Podcast. Check out our website, www.acast.com slash Manafit, or like and subscribe at Manafit Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you have questions or want to just reach out, you can email us at Manafit22 at gmail.com. And as always, may God bless you and keep you.